0: Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and we're going to begin reading from verse 6 this morning. Luke 13 and verse 6. It says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground. And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Let's commit our time this morning to the Lord in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you as always for the opportunity of coming around your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would prepare our hearts to receive from you that Lord you would take your word you would apply it as you see fit that Lord you would challenge us this morning refresh us through it Lord I pray that you would give me the wisdom and the words to speak this morning that you would empower me through the Spirit and that Lord your name would be honored and glorified and praised and we pray these things in jesus name amen now Luke chapter 13 actually begins with uh, the lord being informed about a tragedy that has just taken place just read me verse one it says there were present at that season some that told him of the galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices now this is the only place we find this recorded we don't find anywhere else in the gospels and we don't read of it in any historical works uh, by josephus or anyone like that and so this is the only place we read of this particular event but the tells us here that basically some of the galileans so these are men from galilee they've come down to jerusalem they've come down to offer sacrifice in the temple and while there they have been massacred by pilate and we're not told the reason why this takes place, we're only told that it has happened. Okay, and so these men have come and told the Lord, they've informed the Lord about this tragic event. In verse 2 and 3, we see the Lord now uses this as a teaching opportunity to teach the people and call them to repentance to get right with God. Look in verse 2, it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye. That these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish." You see, there was this common perception, if you like, amongst the people, and it was propagated by the religious leaders. The perception was that if you're good, good things happen to you. If you're evil, evil happens to you. So this meant that when the people saw this massacre take place, they immediately assumed that these Galileans must have been wicked sinners. They must have been terrible people for the Lord to allow this to happen. You know, God must have been bringing special judgment upon them. That was the assumption the people made. But Christ here makes it clear that those who died in that tragedy were no more guilty than anyone else. They were not more worthy of judgment. Indeed, death can come to anyone at any time. And therefore, making sure that we are right with God must be the priority for all of us. And to make the point clear, Christ then refers to a second incident that had taken place. Look in verse 4. Christ says, All those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell... And slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so Christ now refers to a second tragedy. Now this one's an accident that had occurred. A tower in Salome had fallen down, perhaps from an earthquake, and it's killed 18 people. And Christ asks the question, He says, "Were those who died in that tragedy, more guilty than anyone else in Jerusalem, more guilty than the rest of the Jewish people. And so the point is that death comes suddenly, it comes unexpectedly, and it comes upon all. And therefore Christ urges the people to repent while there's yet time, to repent and get right with God, lest they too are unprepared when they die. And this this warning here in verses 3 and verse 5, where he says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This warning is particularly to the nation of Israel as a whole. You see, the nation of Israel, the Jews, they were guilty. They were guilty and they were running out of time to repent, running out of time to get things right with God. We only have time to have a change of mind about their sin and get right with their, their God, their Creator. And it's at this point that Christ now gives the parable of the barren fig tree, which we read uh, at the very start this morning, verse 6 down to verse 9. And Christ gives this parable here to emphasize this point that the nation is guilty and needs to repent. And in this parable story this morning, the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. The certain man who planted the fig tree is God. And the vine dresser is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so with those things in mind, let's consider now this morning the parable story before us. We see first of all here this morning, the fig tree's advantage. The fig tree's advantage. Look in verse 6. It says, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. The first thing we notice here about this fig tree is its privileged position or position of advantage. We're told in verse 6, it says, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. It's in his vineyard. And so, this fig tree occupies a special place in this man's field. He's made space for it, made a special spot for it, for it to be planted in his vineyard. Now, often you would find fig trees planted by the side of the road, like we see in Matthew 21. Let's just turn there. Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 17 says, And he left them and went out of the city under Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee, henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. We see Christ and his disciples they come across this particular fig tree that's in the way or by the side of the road it's a fig tree that had been left to grow on its own if you like okay been planted or maybe it was self-sown but it's there by the side of the road it's not really given any attention not really given any care by anyone in particular it's just there by the road and it's there for anyone who passes by to partake of the fruits in season However, the fig tree in the parable is different. This fig tree, as we said, is planted in the vineyard. It's not merely just by the wayside. It's not just some self-sown tree. This is a tree that has been planted by a certain man in his vineyard. And so it means that this fig tree, as I said, it's got a special place. But it means also that it's got good soil. It's in the place of good soil. It means also that it's carefully maintained. You know, the one caring for the vineyard is also caring for this fig tree, giving it the best care, and therefore it's given every opportunity, every advantage to produce fruit abundantly. Butler says this, the soil for the tree and the service given the tree were extra special when it was grown in the vineyard instead of out in the open fields. If ever a tree should perform well, it should perform well in The vineyard, and that's the point here. This tree, in the parable, has every advantage to be fruitful. As we said earlier, this fig tree represents the nation of Israel. You see, Israel as a nation were given many special spiritual privileges by the Lord. You know, they were highly favoured by God. Lockyer says this: the fig tree illustrated. The Jewish nation and the vineyard, the enclosure of privilege, symbolised the nation secluded from all others and especially honored by God with the light of a supernatural revelation through the prophets and all the influences of supernatural grace. You see, Israel had been set apart from the other nations and they've been given this wonderful spiritual privilege honored by God through the, the messages of the prophets and indeed seeing the power of god through the years they've been privileged go to Jeremiah chapter 7 with me Jeremiah <clears throat> chapter 7 <clears throat> in jerry 7 and verse 6 it says for thou art And holy people unto the Lord thy God, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. This verse makes it very clear. They're a special people unto himself, chosen above all the people of the earth. They were set apart by the Lord, and the Lord dwelt amongst them, and the Lord gave them his word, gave them the law. Now think about that they had the place of worship the temple where god was dwelling amongst them and they also had the law telling them how to worship the lord so they had the place of worship and they had the knowledge of how to worship it's a privileged position the apostle paul he spoke of this privilege in Revela- uh, romans so romans chapter 3 <coughs> just turn over there romans 3 In Romans 3 and verse 1, it says, What advantage then hath the Jew? or What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, Paul here asks the question, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew? What's the answer? He says, unto them were committed the oracles of God. To possess the word of God is the greatest privilege. You know, with privilege comes expectation. And so that's our second point here this morning. We see now the owner's expectation and disappointment. The owner's expectation and disappointment. Look again in verse 6. Luke chapter 13 and verse 6 It says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. You know, having planted this fig tree in his vineyard, the owner now patiently waits for the the season to arrive where it should begin to produce fruit. That season arrives and so he goes out into the vineyard. He goes out to inspect this tree. Notice that he doesn't send someone else to inspect the tree. He goes himself to see for himself whether there is fruit on this tree. He goes to inspect it. Now we can sense from the fact that he takes the time himself to go down and see the fig tree that this fig tree is special to him. It's important to him. Now he's been waiting patiently to enjoy the fruit of this tree. And now that the season has arrived, he goes out with great expectation. He expects to find a tree that is laden with fruit. You know, this is not an unreasonable expectation, is it? You know, the whole reason you plant a fruit tree of whatever kind it is, but the whole reason you plant a fruit tree in a place like this is that you want fruit. That's the expectation. You know, it wasn't simply planted there just to look nice. It wasn't planted there to be ornamental, to just provide shade. It had been planted for a purpose, to produce fruit. And more than that, he had done everything to aid it in the production of fruits. He made sure that it was planted on good soil, it was well watered, it was cared for. So it is completely reasonable for him to now come and expect to find fruit. But sadly, he arrives and the tree is empty. We see at the end of verse 6, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. You know, the owner of the tree is greatly disappointed, isn't he? He's disappointed. All his expectations are let down. He comes and he finds the tree is barren. There's not a single piece of fruit on the tree. And in verse 7, we learn that the owner... He is patient with this tree. Look in verse 7, it says, Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? You know, when the owner came that first season and found no fruit on the tree, you know, he could have given up, couldn't he? He could have just given up on the tree and said, "I'll oh, forget it. It's been long enough and it still is not producing but he didn't instead he went out again that second year found nothing he went out again the third year and still the outcome was the same the tree was barren each year he came to find that there was no change at the end of verse 7 we learn that the owner's patience ran out He says in verse 7 there, Then said he under the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? For three years he'd come expecting fruit. He'd given it every opportunity, but it had proved to be worthless, useless, not fit for purpose. And so he makes the judgment. He says, Cut it down, remove the tree. And we notice at the end of verse 7, that there is a second reason that he decides it needs to be removed. He says, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Why cumbereth it the ground? That word cumbereth there means to render the ground useless, barren or sterile. Commentator Gill says this, unfruitful trees suck up the juices of the earth and draw away nourishment. From other trees that are near them, and so make the earth barren, and not only hurt other trees, but stand in the way and place of fruitful ones. You see, this tree had not only become useless, not fulfilling its purpose, but more than that it was now taking up space and it was sucking the nutrients from the earth that the vineyard needed. It was actually affecting the other plants around it. And so the owner's patience has run out and he decides it's time for it to be removed. Now, of course, this whole imagery here pictures Israel. It's a picture of the nation of Israel. As we said earlier, Israel had been given great spiritual privilege. Not least of all was being given the word of God, the oracles of God. But with this privilege came expectation, the expectation of fruits. Now, God expected them as a nation to honor Him. He expected them to be righteous, to reflect Him, and in turn be a blessing unto the nations roundabouts. Now, we see this expectation spoken about in Isaiah chapter 5. Let's turn over there, Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 5. Let's read from verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah his pleasant plant, and he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Isaiah chapter 5 the image is different. You know, the Picture being used is different. In this image here, Israel is pictured as a vineyard. But the point is the same. The point of both passages is the same. And here in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 5, God declares, He says that He looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. In other words, God looked for fruit to be found in Israel. He looked for justice and He looked for righteousness. But instead, all he saw was oppression and wickedness. You see, Israel failed to produce the fruits of righteousness as a nation. They failed the Lord, they turned their backs upon him. Butler says this: when Jesus spoke this parable, it applied primarily to the Jews. They, like the fig tree, were not bearing any fruit spiritually. The religious leaders of that day were as dysfunctional dysfunctional spiritually as they could be. Israel as a nation evidenced no fruits. They were not a good testimony for God. They did not live the word of God. They were not serving God. You see, that's the state of Israel that Christ came to. He came to an Israel that had forgotten their Lord. They looked good. They had a lot of greenery, didn't they? They looked good, but inside there was no fruits. The tree was barren. And just like the man in the parable, you know, the Lord God had been patient with Israel, hadn't he? He'd been patient. He'd given them plenty of time to produce fruit. You know, he'd come time and again to inspect the tree, expecting to find fruit and still found none. You know, in verse 7 there in Luke 13, it says, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Now, commentators here debate about what these three years in the parable symbolize in regards to Israel and God's patience with them. What's this three years? Some suggest that it represents Israel's spiritual fa- failure throughout their history. You know, they rejected Moses, they rejected the prophets, and they finally rejected the Messiah. Others suggest that it points to three periods of their history. You know, the period before the captivity when they went into Babylon, the period after the captivity, and this period now where Christ is preaching unto them. Three periods of time. Finally, others suggest that the three here represents Christ's three years of ministry where he came personally to inspect the fig tree. The reality is that all of these are just speculations. Can't say for certain what the three years is meant to mean. They're good applications and there is truth to each of those applications. But it's perhaps better for us just to understand the three years here to indicate that God had given them plenty of time, plenty of opportunity. One commentator said this, Here the period of three years in which the Lord of the vineyard came seeking fruit represents by the number three, the symbol of completeness, a period of full opportunity given to the tree to have become fruitful and productive. It's a period of full opportunity. That's the point here. God had been patient with Israel. Throughout the years, he'd been long-suffering. He'd given them plenty of time, and yet they still failed him. They failed to produce fruit. They were barren. They were worthless. They were not fit for purpose. You know, worse still, Israel was having a negative effect upon the nations around them. Like the fig tree in the parable, they cumbereth the ground. They were hindering the growth of others. You see, instead of being the Lord's witness, which is what Israel was meant to be, instead of being the Lord's witness and bringing other nations to the knowledge of, of the one true god they were instead turning people away from the lord turn over to romans chapter 2 with me romans 2 we just read from verse 23 says thou that makest thy boast of the law Through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through Israel, through their conduct, through their actions. That's a pretty damning statement, isn't it, about the nation of Israel? By their failure, by their lack of righteousness their lack of fruit, they caused the name of God to be blasphemed by the nation's roundabout. And so because of all of this, God's patience with Israel had run out. And he had determined to cut it down, to remove the tree. God determined to bring judgment upon the nation. Matthew Henry summed it up really well. He said this, God chose them for his own, made them a people near to him, gave them advantages for knowing and serving him above any other people and expected answerable returns of duty and obedience from them, which turning to his praise and honor, he would have accounted fruit. But they disappointed his expectations. They did not do their duty. They were a reproach instead of being a credit to their profession. Upon this, he justly determined to cut them off. And that brings us now this morning to the final section of the parable. We see thirdly now, the vine dressers in decession. The, the vine dressers in decession. Look in verse 8. It says, And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down and he's teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. At this point in the parable, we see the vine dresser now respond to the owner of the field. You know, the owner had said, cut it down, remove the fig tree. The vine dresser, he responds by asking for another period of grace. You know, this one employed to take care of that vineyard and indeed take care of the fig tree. He pleads with the owner to give the tree one more year. Give it another period of grace. And if it won't produce fruit, then cut it down. You know, during this year, the vine dresser says he's going to pay it extra attention. He's going to give it even more advantage. He says in verse 8, he says, Till I dig about it and dung it. In other words, the vine dresser, he's going to dig around the roots. He's going to loosen the soil. He's going to fertilize the ground. This is one last effort, one last concerted effort to make sure this tree is fruitful. And if that failed, then it would be cut down, as we read there in verse 9. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So this one intercedes on behalf of the fig tree and asks for one more period of grace. You know, the vine dresser here, (coughs) excuse me, the vine dresser seems to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he pleads on behalf of the nation of Israel for one more period of grace. Now, Israel, they didn't deserve any more grace, did they? They'd had plenty of opportunity. They repeatedly shown themselves unfruitful, worthless. And yet Christ intercedes pleading for them to be given one more period of grace, one more opportunity to be fruitful. You know, that period of grace was granted in the years after Christ's death. Israel rejected and crucified their Messiah. And yet the Lord, God in His grace, held off judgment until AD 70. When Titus came in and sacked Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple and he scattered the people. But during those years, that period of grace, Israel was given the gospel. They had the gospel preached unto them. You know, the great commission that Christ gave to his disciples was that they would go to the Jew first and then unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, just turn there quickly. Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts 1 and verse 8 <clears throat> says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The disciples were commissioned to go forth and preach the gospel, and they were to start with the jews the nation of israel and then go forth from there and you know the disciples they fulfilled this commission didn't they they fulfilled this commission and israel was given that period of grace they were given around about 40 years from christ's death and his ascension back into heaven from then on till 78 ad around 40 years where the gospel was preached unto them so they might produce fruit So they might turn back to the Lord. And yet, sadly, as a nation, they proved unfruitful, and so judgment came. You see, God's long suffering came to an end. God's long suffering doesn't just keep going on. Eventually, God's period of grace runs out, and judgment comes. And so, Israel has been now set aside until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, until the church age is complete. Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> Let's quickly turn over there. Romans 11. <clears throat> Romans 11 and verse 25, it says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. They've been set aside until the fullness of the Gentiles, until this church age is complete. You know, that judgment came where they were cut off because they failed to produce fruit. They had every advantage and yet they failed the Lord. So this parable story before us this morning is primarily from Christ, a warning to the Jewish nation. A warning that judgment is coming. A warning that God's grace, God's long suffering will come to an end. And time was fast running out unless they turned to the Lord and they produce fruit. Otherwise judgment would come. But you know, even though this parable this morning is primarily about the nation of Israel, we can see an application for all of us, can't we? We can see an application for us as believers here today. Those of us who know Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Christians. You see, like Israel, we have been given great spiritual privilege. Great spiritual advantages. Think about it, we have we know the Lord Jesus Christ our Saviour, we have the Holy Spirit now dwelling within. The Holy Spirit dwelling within each of us. We have in our possession the complete revelation of God, the whole Word of God. Added to that, we have the wonderful privilege of coming boldly under the throne of grace and making our petitions known unto God our Father. We don't have to come through some priest. We don't have to come through anyone else. We come boldly through the Lord Jesus Christ under him in prayer beloved, we are a privileged people saved by grace through faith you know peter he speaks about our privileged position in first peter let's turn there first peter chapter 2 first <clears throat> peter 2 and verse 9 <clears throat> it says but ye are a chosen Generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, verse 9 starts out by saying we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are indeed chosen by God in Christ, and we are now His special people. We belong to Him And with that privileged position comes expectation. It's no different than what it was for Israel. For us as believers, this privilege brings expectation that we produce fruit. In John chapter 15, Christ speaks about this very truth. Let's turn then. We'll finish this morning in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we'll read from verse 1. <clears throat> it says, I am the vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified." That ye bear much fruit, so shall we be my disciples. You know, here again we see the Lord use a different image. This time Christ is the vine, and we as believers are the branches on that vine. And it's as we abide in Him, as we draw life from the, the vine. We abide in Him with a close relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ as we walk in the Spirits, that we then produce fruit, spiritual fruits. And verse 8 makes it clear that the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. It says herein, verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. God the Father is glorified when we as believers bear much fruits. Why? Because it's evidence of what He's done in our lives, evidence that we are His disciples. Indeed, beloved, we are saved. We are given all these spiritual privileges so that we might be fruitful Christians, so that we might produce the fruits of righteousness, so that we might bring glory and honor under His name. We might be changed into his image. And beloved, a fruitful Christian is a Christian that God can use to his glory. But if we fail to produce fruits, then we are no better than the nation of Israel. We are no better. We're failing our Lord and Savior. We're failing our God, our Father. We've become useless, not fit for purpose. And if we're like that, then there will come a time when God's grace, God's long-suffering towards us will run out. It will come to an end. In John 15 there in verse 6, it says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and then gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Christ here declares in verse 6, he says, If we fail to abide in him, we fail to produce fruits." then we are like a dead, withered, useless branch that needs to be cut off. Need to be pruned from the vine. Now that doesn't mean we'll lose our salvation. We know that. We can never lose our salvation. We can never be separated from the love of God. But what it does mean is that by our lack of fruits, by our lack of spiritual growth, we have become useless unto the Lord, not fit for purpose. We're like a dead branch on a vine that needs to be pruned, needs to be removed. And that may mean that God takes us from this world. He may call us home before our time because we are not doing any good. We're doing more damage than good. You see, as believers, if we're not producing fruits, if we're failing to live righteously, then we end up cumbering the ground, just like that fig tree. In other words, we end up bringing shame and reproach upon the name of the Lord. And in turn, we turn people away from Christ instead of bringing them to Christ. We become a reproach. You see, God is indeed gracious towards us. He is long-suffering. But His patience will eventually run out. We've, you know, beloved, we've not been saved, given all these wonderful spiritual privileges so that we can go and live as we please. That's not why God saved us. He saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring forth fruit, to glorify Him with our lives. Beloved, I wonder today, are we fruitful Christians? Or are we barren, dead, worthless branches? Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word today. We thank you, Lord, for this parable that pitches so clearly the nation of Israel and the sad state of Israel after being given so many spiritual advantages to produce no fruit, to be dead, to be lifeless, needing to be cut down. And Lord, as believers, we can be guilty of following that same path. Lord, you have done so much for us. You saved us. You've given us a home in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit living within a relationship with you. Lord, we could go on. We have so much to give thanks to you today for. And yet, Lord, so often we are guilty of living for ourselves. So often we are guilty of not abiding in the vine and not producing fruit. And Lord, in doing so, we become worthless unto you. Lord, I pray that you work in our hearts today. May we deal with any sin that's within. May we, Lord, turn to you and be fruitful for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.